0: I'm glad to be here with you, glad to get Juan up here introducing, welcoming everyone. If you don't know Juan, get to know him. He's just a a man of joy, just a great guy. Go talk to him after the service and you'll walk away with a smile on your face, I promise. Um, This week for me, I got my second um, COVID shot this week and uh, I was very skeptical. Um, I was like, oh, all these people getting this second dose and getting sick, just a bunch of babies. And boy, did I learn quick. Um, I wasn't like necessarily feeling so bad. I just couldn't focus on anything. I don't know if that was your experience, but I had to be laying down and just staring at the wall. Um, I tried to watch like three different movies, like my comfort movies, like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, I'm a big nerd, and I couldn't even focus. So I turned them off and I did something that everyone does to not focus right now. I started watching the Olympics. Is anyone watching the Olympics right now? That's what you do to kind of check out because I don't know if you've watched, but there's some really random Olympic sports. And I, I don't understand like Like I was watching fencing and I don't know if you watch fencing. It's basically you're poking each other with a wire and like, I don't know how to tell when it hits a person. It was really goofy and I also watched like speed walking. Has anyone watched that? It was ridiculous. Like I was like, they're sitting here and they're like moving their hips. And I'm like, this is is an Olympic sport. But then they did a 5K in 23 minutes. They walked a 5K in 23 minutes. I was like, okay. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive then. All right, I'll give them an Olympic medal maybe. Um, But I did that and checked out um, for a couple days. And then I spent a lot of time reading and preparing for this morning. Um, But I'm really glad to be back and 100% and here with everyone this morning. And now we can laugh and have a joyful time together. But we're continuing in our John series this morning. If you've been with us for the past six weeks. It's been six weeks already in it. We uh, started our series, Working Through the Gospel of John. Um, Last week, Graham preached, oh, what an encouraging sermon last week. It was about Jesus as healer. And if you were not here, or maybe you need that encouragement again, check out Spotify or Apple. You can find Renaissance Church on there. Listen to that sermon, uh, I walked away just encouraged and reminded of the truth that Jesus is healer. So this week um, we are in John chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's word, you can. If you need one, we have one in the back. You can keep it. It's yours. You can take it open open up this morning and take it home. If you want to listen, it's going to be on the screen. I'm kind of a listener. It's hard for me to follow along when I'm looking at the screen. So listen and and just, just pay attention, but John chapter six, and the main idea I want us to be looking for is the statement Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So be looking for that, I want us to truly understand, like Graham said, I want us to understand what it truly means that he is the bread of life and what it means that he satisfies us. So be looking for in the scripture when we read it. If you want to shout out bingo, go for it. Let me know you're paying attention with us. Looking for I am the bread of life. I'm going to say it multiple times this morning. So be looking for it. Before we start reading in the scripture, I want to give us a little background to the events that take place leading right into this event. So we know chapter six takes place time-wise after chapter five because it directly says in verse one after this so we know all right okay this was after what was just written about so we know it was after Jesus healed the lame man that doesn't mean he was like a lame guy it means like he couldn't walk so don't don't think I'm calling someone lame all right so after Jesus healed the lame man and then Jesus proclaimed that he was the son of God big stuff took place so after that is when chapter six takes place. It doesn't necessarily mean right after, but we know it is shortly after, and likely that some of the people from this crowd are the same people that witnessed the previous miracle and heard Jesus' statements. We also know that it is right before Passover because it says so in the scripture we're going to read. So we know that maybe it was some people on the pilgrimage that they take during Passover and it's probably some of the people that heard Jesus' previous statements. Whatever we know is a crowd kept following him. We can see that in verse two. And we know that they would be familiar with the things Jesus had been doing. I want us to briefly look at the miracle that takes place before the text that we're gonna really study this morning. And you might have heard it before if you haven't, we're gonna hear about it real quick. It's a pretty famous miracle out of the gospels. In fact, it is the only miracle that is mentioned in all four gospels. And it is the act of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Has anyone heard that story before? Nod your head, raise your hand. Yeah, I've heard it before. So I'm gonna story tell it for us really quick in case you forgot some of the details. So basically Jesus is alone on this hillside with his disciples probably teaching them, maybe they're just enjoying the afternoon, but they're alone. And then a crowd shows up. That's kind of how it goes in Jesus' life. He gets away, people find him again. He's like, all right, let's teach them some truth. So some people show up and Jesus sees the crowd approaching and he looks to his disciples. He looks to Philip and says, how, how could we feed these people? I want to take care of them. How could we feed them? And Philip is like, Jesus, I don't got that kind of dough, man. Like, I don't have the money for that. Uh, we even combined, it would take eight, eight months wages. We can't afford it. Like surely there's no way. And then Andrew, another disciple of Jesus kind of speaks up and he said, there's, there's a young boy here. He has a few loaves of bread and some fish. And then immediately he's like, ah, but what good is that? It's like, you know, when you give an idea for something and you're like, ah, I'm just kidding like when you tell a joke and no one laughs and you're like ah never mind because you don't want to like think people like people think you're dumb or something so he's like ah but what good is that never mind never mind so so there sets up the scenario and Jesus Jesus goes all right I can use that so Jesus sits everyone down to make it nice and orderly and he says get the five loaves and two fish the two small fish and the five barley loaves collect them bring them to me Jesus raises them, blesses them, breaks them, and the disciples pass them out to every person that is there. And it says everyone ate as much as they wanted. All 5,000 men, and we can understand that there are probably women and children there as well. So we know at least 5,000 people ate from five loaves and two fish, incredible. And then 12 baskets were collected after. A miracle performed by Jesus from a simple lunch that a boy packed. Incredible. And Jesus does this on purpose, obviously. He wants to feed the people, but he also wants to teach them through his miracle. So this took place, and now, the very next day, Jesus is going to use what he just did to teach something. He slips away, we're not gonna read it, but in in verses 16 through 21, Jesus slips away from the crowd because they're trying to make him their king. And he's like, that's not why I came. So he slips away, the disciples go across the lake. Jesus walks on water, it's a crazy story, it's awesome. He calms the storm, I encourage you to go read it. We don't have time to break that down today because we're focusing on a different part of it, but I encourage you to go read it. So Jesus walks on water, they get to the other side of the lake and the next morning, the crowd shows up. They find out that Jesus is on the other side of the lake and they get there. And so Jesus says, all right, I'm about to preach some fire. So that's, that's what he has for us today. So are we ready for that? Are we ready for the truth that Jesus has after this miracle? I don't know if we're ready. Are you guys ready? All right, we're ready to go. We're ready to go. So this truth is just as real for us today as it was for them. It was very real for me this week. I'm telling you, like... I was sitting and reading and I was like, man, Jesus, maybe this was just for me this week because I'm telling you, it pierced my heart and really showed me what I value and and what I desire. And so we're gonna dive in and we're gonna read quickly verses 25 through 35. So John 6, 25 through 35, I'll start. It says, they found him, they found Jesus on the other side of the lake and asked, rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy speaking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Bingo, there we go, come on, there we go. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty Again, Mm. so we're gonna break it down verse by verse and see what Jesus has for us this morning. So simply verse 26, these people show up. They're like, Jesus, where'd you go, man? Come on, give us something. And Jesus immediately confronts and addresses their hearts in searching for him. Jesus is about to address three issues that prevent us from believing in and following Jesus. The first is materialism, second is self-sufficiency, and the third is doubt. So Jesus addresses all three of these today and they're very real in our lives that prevent us from believing and following Jesus. So this is Jesus' response to materialism right here in verse 27. He looks at them. He says, you want me because I fed you. His answer in verse 27 parallels his words that he gave to the Samaritan woman from chapter four, if anyone was here with us, concerning the living water that did not come from the well. And like the Samaritan woman here, the people could not shift their thinking above physical necessities of life. Jesus was not commanding them to stop working for a living, but he was saying that their main quest our main desire should not be for the food that perishes so quickly. It should not be for materialistic things that are here today and gone tomorrow that we read in scripture. Instead, Jesus said it should be spent pursuing him and the eternal life that he gives. So that's his immediate response to materialism. He's like, you care about these things and literally it'll be gone in a few days. I am eternal and I offer you eternal life. And this is how they respond. Verse 28, right after Jesus says, spend your energy speaking eternal life, this is how they view it instead. They look at verse 28, they say, well, we wanna perform God's works too. What should we do? What can we do to perform works to pursue eternal life? They can't get past this thought that they could work hard enough and earn this eternal life that Jesus was mentioning. This is how they think they can pursue it by their works. The second issue Jesus addresses is what must we do to earn these works, to earn this life? The second issue is self sufficiency that prevents us from believing and following and trusting Jesus. And self sufficiency, the people here, they want to do the good works from a desire to be totally reliant on themselves. They say, okay, Jesus, I'm supposed to seek this eternal life that you said. How can I do these works to get there myself? To them, to the Jewish questioners here, obtaining eternal life consisted in finding the right formula to perform God's works and please him. So that one day they will be good enough for heaven. Wow, when I read their response, I was like, how often am I in this exact place? I try out of my own power to do good works so that I might be good enough in front of God so that I'll be in the clear when judgment day comes or that when one day I I pass on that I'll be in the clear because of the works I've done. I say, God, what can I do to be good enough to earn what you are offering me, to be worthy of your kingdom? Pursuing eternal life that Jesus offers, pursuing Jesus, listen church, does not mean doing good works. Jesus is more interested in who you are in him than what you do for him. I'm gonna say that again because someone maybe wasn't listening. Jesus is more interested in who you are in him than what you do for him. Works are not how we get closer to him. Jesus answered by belief in him, he has brought us near. He says, spend your energy seeking me, not works to get to me. Getting closer to Jesus does not mean doing good things for him so that I will then be in his presence because I'm pleasing now because I've done good enough things. That is so selfish that I think I am responsible for bringing myself closer to him when the only thing that is responsible is what he has done on the cross. Only he is responsible and we are called to seek him only. That's why Jesus says immediately when they say, what works can we do? Verse 29, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in Jesus. That's it. It's not about being self-sufficient and being able to get there on my own. It's about being completely reliant on Jesus and what he has done. Jesus directs the people here to the gift of God that could only be obtained by faith in him. So then we continue in verse 30 and they're like, fine, okay, you say I'm supposed to believe in you. Well, then do something to make me believe in you. Oh my gosh, just right there, right in my heart, I felt that when I read it this week. I'm like, all right, God, what can you do that I might believe in you this week? And they say, okay, I'm supposed to pursue you for this eternal life, but Jesus, can you give me a reason to? Could you do something for me? And that's the third issue that keeps us from believing and following in Jesus is doubting who he is. They say, what miraculous sign will you give me that I can see and then I'll believe it? And it's incredible that they would ask that right after he fed 5,000 of them from the small loaves and fish that they just witnessed. And they probably saw him healing the lame man. And they're like, no, 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 I need something today too. They're attempting to evaluate Jesus by a ministry that they thought Moses did. They quote the manna that they said Jesus provided for them, which in the Old Testament, the Israelites wandering through the desert were provided sweet bread from heaven so that they would live and have food. And they say, Well, Jesus provided manna, what can you do for me? They doubted Jesus was who he said he was. They doubted that he could actually save them. It was too hard for the people here to have faith in something that isn't providing materialistic things for them. It was too hard for them to have faith in something other than themselves. So in verse 31... They're at Jesus and they're like, all right, let me quote some scripture at Jesus Christ real quick. How ridiculous, right? They started quoting the Old Testament to Jesus like he wouldn't know it. I started thinking about that this week. It's like me going up to LeBron James, you guys know who he is, like one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And I said, hey, you know, if you could just like finish your dribble a little better this way, he'd be like, get out of here, bro. Like I'm the leading scorer in the NBA, like who, who are you? So they start quoting scripture to Jesus and they're like, hey, the Old Testament says this and Jesus is like, yeah, uh, uh, I know. <laughs> they say, Moses gave our ancestors manna. They gave, he, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And you're saying you're better than Moses? And they say, well, he gave us bread too, Jesus. You're not very special. They say, do something else so that we can believe in you today. Give me something else so that I could believe in you today. Church, when we come to Jesus with the heart of wanting him to do something for us, when we come to him with the heart of making bargains with him, saying, God, if you do this, then I will do this. Instead of a heart that desires Jesus only and the eternal life that he freely gives, we will always, always, always be hungry. And we approach with a heart of desiring here and now materialistic things. God, do this for me then. God, do this for me then. You will never be satisfied. We will always be asking for another miracle because that's what we've put our faith in and not him only. We will always be asking for more, just like the people in this story after witnessing countless miracles being provided food for. They're like, Jesus, if you could still do something today, then I'll believe you today and then I'll probably need something tomorrow, just like me. Oh my gosh, I tell you, when I read these stories, I want to be like the disciples that get it. And I'm oftentimes like the people in the crowd who are like, Jesus, do this for me. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't identify there, but it kind of hurts. We need to identify it and bring it forth this morning and be honest with ourselves. So then Jesus responds with this when they're like, well, Moses gave us manna. Oh, Jesus is quick with it, I tell you. He says, in verse 32, he said, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. He said, Moses gave you nothing, my father in heaven did. And I like what Jesus does here because he's also stating his authority and his relationship with God Almighty. Jesus is saying that he's not just another good prophet or speaker like Moses and Elijah. He's saying, I am the one that they are prophesying about sent down from heaven, from my father and to give life to this world. I am the true bread sent down. In verse 34, after Jesus says, if you eat of this bread, you'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. This is what they say. They're so narrow-minded. They say, well, we gotta have this bread. You're offering me something I don't have to work for now and that I don't have to think about feeding my family every day. And this culture, bread was a part of every meal. It was a main part of the meal, especially for those who couldn't afford more. So you're like, okay, Jesus, if you provide this bread. Ooh, my life will be so much easier. I won't have to think about it. I'll just have dinner every night. My family will be fed. It'll be easy. Give it to me. I can believe in you then. Give it to me. Give me what will satisfy me right now. We gotta have it. Do this and we might believe. They're still not getting what Jesus is saying here. In verse 35, I'm gonna read it again. It said, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. They're like, we want this thing. And Jesus says, well, I'm it. You're searching for something right now and it's right in front of you. Whoever comes to me, because he already said he is the bread sent from heaven. He said, whoever comes from me, comes to me, will never be hungry again. He said, I came down from heaven from the father to offer eternal life to all who would believe. So this starts to upset some people. They don't want to accept Jesus as God's son and not just a good teacher or prophet or instructor in their life or something that can meet their physical needs right now. They didn't want him to be more than that because that requires surrender. They said, "Eh, I don't know about this Jesus guy. He seems kind of... Didn't he come from this part over here? We know his family. Who does he think he is? And so they start murmuring and arguing with each other and start questioning what Jesus is preaching about. So Jesus does this. He says, all right, let me say it again in case you weren't listening. He's like, all right, let me say it again for those in the back. Let me say it again for you in this room this morning who maybe need to hear it again. Jesus repeats the truth he just said. In verses 47 through 53, he just lays it on again. So verse 47, he just says, I tell you the truth. It's like saying, all right, hey, listen, I'm telling you truth. I'm telling you something good for you. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. First of all. Jesus addresses immediately again, salvation is about Jesus, is about belief in Jesus only, not about ourselves and not about our works. And he continues in verse 48, he says, yes, I am the bread of life. Just again, correcting saying, I am this bread that will satisfy. In verse 49, he corrects them again in the scripture and he says this, he says, Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna. You're right. They ate sweet bread in the wilderness from heaven, but they all died. (laughs) He's like pointing out like, yeah, they did have bread provided for them, but that bread they ate, they still died years later because it only satisfied them right then. He's like, just like the bread I gave you yesterday that I multiplied, you eat of it, you will still die. He said, but what I offer you right now, is the true bread of heaven. Verse 50, he says this, anyone who eats this bread from heaven, however, will never die. The bread you ate yesterday, the bread your ancestors ate, they died. But the true bread from heaven, the son of God has come down and if you eat of him, you will never die. Verse 51, he continues, Jesus says, I am the living bread. I am not just a piece of barley bread that satisfies right now, but I am the living, breathing bread sent to you so that anyone who eats of this bread will live forever and this bread which I also offer and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh Jesus is proclaiming his authority again. He said, he is the living bread, came down from heaven. Anyone who eats of this bread will live forever and it is offered to the whole world, not just the Jews that they would think, to everyone. So that you may have life. And he says, it is by my flesh, by my body. And which we can look at being on this side of the crucifixion. And know that by his flesh is by his physical sacrifice on the cross as the payment of our sins, taking our place on the cross where we deserve to be and his death and resurrection is what he means when he says, by my flesh it is offered. But the people start to get a little grossed out. They start arguing with each other. In verse 52, they say, What does he mean? How can this man give us flesh to eat? I can imagine that from a very non-spiritual minded view on that, they're like, that's disgusting. This guy's offering me maybe his arm to eat. Ew, that's gross. I don't wanna eat that. Much like Nicodemus, remember in chapter three when he's like, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, Mm, I don't want to do that. Like, that's kind of gross, man. Like that whole act, I'm old now. I don't, I don't want to see my mom. Like all of these like, ooh, gross, same here. They they can't get these spiritual truths. They're taking it so literally and from like a very moment now perspective. And they're like, this is ridiculous. This guy's insane. So just to be sure again, that the people don't think Jesus made a mistake in his words, he says it again. He says in verse 53, he's like, all right, you think I'm kidding? You think I'm joking? Verse 53, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat of my flesh, eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life. Ooh, that's probably gonna upset some people. I don't know if you know, but in Leviticus 17, it lays out some pretty heavy rules about not drinking blood. And they're like, no, that's gross. It's going to make us unclean. We can be kicked out of the community for that. They're like, this is the law from God. And you're saying I must drink your blood. They will not think farther than now. And we know, and I can, we can explain, to eat of this bread and to drink of the blood that Jesus offers is not a physical act of eating. We're not asking and saying, eat Jesus's leg, drink of his blood. It is not a literal physical thing because he says later in this scripture in verse 63, he says, these words are spirit and life. So we can know that this is a spiritual transaction. And I like to think of it this way. When you're thinking about eating a meal, you won't eat something that's inedible, right? Like if you looked at like a pile of rocks, you're like, that's not food. I don't, and does anyone eat rocks? You guys eat rocks? weirdos. All right, so don't eat rocks anymore. It's not nourishing, All right, So when we look at something, we eat something that we know and trust will nourish and fill us and it will be real and wholesome that it will satisfy us and that it is not questionable. I don't know about you, but when I see a questionable meal, I don't eat it. I'm, I'm like, no, that's probably garbage. I don't wanna eat that. And much like here, the idea is the same. We must believe that Jesus is the bread of life, that he is a meal that is wholesome and nourishing, that he is what satisfies, that he alone offers eternal life and that our belief in him, verses 29 and 47, that our belief in him is what saves us only. It's trusting that his meal is a nourishing and satisfying one. The problem here is that the people took Jesus's spiritual words literally, to literally eat of him. What Jesus, but what Jesus is talking about here is just as real to him spiritually as are the physical counterparts that these people are thinking he's saying. It's just as real to him. It is a real food and a real drink that produces real life. It is a real spiritual process that brings us into relationship with him that was paid for by his flesh, by his blood and by that we have salvation. And I want us to explain and know that Jesus is not mentioning or meaning here what we call communion or the Lord's Supper or what some of you might know as the Eucharist. That is not what he's saying here. Communion or the Lord's Supper is not what saves us. That's not what we believe at Renaissance. Communion is not what saves us. Communion was intended to continue and remind us of this concept that Jesus preaches here. That a constant renewal of faith and of outward confession of renewal should be expressed by participation in the bread and juice that we do. There is no hint here that Jesus was instituting this sacrament or that the celebration of communion carried with it any saving power at all. In fact, he says the only saving power is in belief in him alone. Communion is a reminder of the real blood and real flesh that Jesus sacrificed, that belief in that sacrifice alone gives us eternal life, not simply the bread and juice. So in John chapter six, we read here that Jesus claimed to be the only permanent satisfaction for the human desire for life. And I'll say that again, in case we were listening, Jesus is the only permanent satisfaction for the human desire for life. And if you think, oh, I don't have that desire, you're wrong, because I'm about to prove you wrong, because I chase it every day outside of Jesus. He says, the only satisfaction for this hunger is him. And we try to satisfy this hunger, this pursuit, this desire with consumption of more money, a better job, a better apartment, that one day I'll finally get to this place of my dreams and I will be happy. Maybe I consume Netflix or video games or learning and education or simply good works for him as the satisfaction for my life. Because once I do that, then I feel good. But Jesus is looking and saying, I am the bread of life that satisfies, that satisfies this great hunger you have. And you can try to fill it with all these things, these good things, these bad things. You can chase them and fill them, but you will be hungry every day. He says, but I am the true bread that if you eat of me, you will hunger no more. We are only satisfied in Jesus belief in him that he is a true good meal the bread of life sent down from heaven lived a sinless life died on the cross paying the price for our sins and was raised on the third day that is what only satisfies not what he does not that he does good things for me or provides for me church he will he does those things but those aren't what satisfies All I need is him. That is the satisfaction. He alone is what satisfies. He alone is what I need. He is the true bread of life. Jesus desired that we should receive him, not simply for what he might give us, but for what he might be to us. The bread of life. I read a pastor said that this week. And it just really resonated with me that he desired, Jesus desired that we should receive him not simply for what he might give us, but for what he might be to us. As we kind of put a bow tie on the top of this amazing gift that is the word of God, as we wrap it up and kind of close in summation of this amazing truth that he has for us. We can look at the last couple verses, verses 60 through 63 and 66 through 69 and look at the two responses of the people. So in verse 60, it says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think when the son of man ascends to heaven again? The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. (sighs) How helpless we are. And in verse 66, he continues, says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Not the 12 disciples that we know of in the gospels, but there was crowds of people that would follow people and be called his disciples. They followed his teaching. It says, at this point, many of them turned away. then Jesus turned to his 12, the 12 he called and asked, are you going to leave? Simon Peter, who usually messes things up, You get to read great mess ups from him, but he speaks on behalf of the disciples here. Simon Peter replied, Lord, whom would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Oh, Peter, the disciples, they got it right there. Your words are spirit and life. And with this truth today, much like the disciples in the story, we have to respond. We can act like we can come in and leave and not respond to a truth, but there are responses to this. Will we walk away like the Jewish people here and say, this is too hard for me to get... Is it too hard, it's keeping me from Jesus because I'm materialistic, I'm self-sufficient, I'm full of doubts, I want all these things to be provided for me so I might believe today? Are we gonna walk away because we can't understand that he is what satisfies? Is he enough? Do we believe that he is a good meal that satisfies? Or do we seek only good things from him? or we can walk away and respond like the 12 disciples here. This is what I encourage us in church. Wherever you were this week, wherever you walked into this room, maybe you were like those in the crowd this morning who have just been asking for things from him and being so unsatisfied. I encourage you that you can respond like this today. Verse 68, where would we go? You alone, Jesus, you are the words of life, the bread that satisfies. You alone sustain me. You alone give life. And, church, I promise He will do that for you today. It says, We are hungry and searching for answers and something to satisfy and nourish us, church. You are. And Jesus is the only true bread that satisfies, He's the only true nourishment. He is the bread of life. I read this really awesome illustration um, this week. Um, you can you, Worship team, you guys can kind of head up here as, as I, I share this illustration. So if you look, if I had a plate right here and I was holding a plate and it had a loaf of bread on it. All right, so that's the picture. I have a loaf of bread sitting on this plate right here. Seeing this loaf on this plate will not satisfy your hunger. Knowing the ingredients in this bread that I'm holding will not satisfy our hunger. Taking pictures for Instagram or whatever it is will not satisfy your hunger. Telling other people about the bread and that it might satisfy their hunger does not satisfy your hunger. Selling the bread to other people will not satisfy your hunger. Nothing will satisfy your hunger, except actually consuming this bread in front of you. And Jesus said, verse 51, he who eats of this bread will live forever. Church, if you have questions this morning about any of this, if it's a little confusing to you, you wanna know more, don't be like the first crowd. Don't walk away confused. Don't walk away with questions and refusing to accept it because it's too hard to understand. We want to talk to you. We want this free bread that's offered to us from Jesus to be offered to you and you to accept it because it will nourish you. It will satisfy. Please talk to us. And church, walk away encouraged today You might've walked in discouraged from this week. You might've heard this truth and it might've pierced your heart and it might've made you feel bad. I encourage you not to rest in that place. Let the spirit convict you. Conviction is good. It calls us out of the place we were in and confess it and turn back, turn to him. Because we like to turn ourselves this way and say that I can't turn back because I've already messed up and that I'm out of relationship with him. That's not how it works. Remember, we don't bring ourselves closer to him, church. He has brought himself near to you. So the beauty in it is this morning, is that if we were we're discouraged by this, we can say, I've been living this way, Jesus, and kind of asking things from you, except to, I I wanna believe and be satisfied by you only. Just do this, Jesus, I confess. Open up, because he's right there. He's not far from you, he's near. So be encouraged, church. Jesus is the bread of life that satisfies. It is a good meal. Let's pray to the Lord together. God, we thank you for this beautiful picture that life produces a hunger and a desire for something greater. And the beauty is that you freely sent your son down to satisfy us, to nourish us, to be this meal that fills us completely and that we can have hope and eternal life in you. Jesus, I pray for any in the room who that is not the case for them. I pray that they would turn to you and that they would eat of the bread of life. God, that they would give their lives to you, Jesus. God, I pray for salvation, that people would turn to you. I pray for those in the room who are walking, maybe just just turned a little away from you. Lord, that they would not rest in that place, that the, the word would convict them to a place of repentance, not to stay in guilt and shame, but to walk in the hope and righteousness and purity that is you, that you offer through your sacrifice. God, we repent to you this morning and we say your words give spirit and truth. You alone satisfy. Where else would we go? Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl@gmail.com at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other and love our world.